Okay, we are back. Um, yes. You've got, yes, you've got two out of three business geeks here with you today. Uh, our fellow business geek, Joe, is off taking care of some family business. So we are here to hold down the entrepreneurial fort. Yes, the girls are in the house again. I think Joe should be very nervous that the girls are running the show again. <laughs> You know, we just, what, it was just International Women's Day, um, yes. you know, and, and, you know, I think it's International Women's Day every day. Uh, Absolutely. But, and how did, how did you, how did you celebrate International Women's Day, Jen? Well, Samantha, since you asked, or Sam, <laughs> I should say, um, we celebrated by moving our clocks ahead so we lost an hour. So even on International Women's Day, we we faced some inequality, even on our own day. <laughs> we didn't even get a fair number of hours. So um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't really celebrate it, you know, uh, formally. I didn't celebrate it formally. Okay, very good. Um, well, I, I didn't go to. I didn't go to any events either. However, I ran an event which had nothing to do with International Women's Day, but I ran a LinkedIn workshop down in Adelaide in South Australia. And can I share, for the first time in over 12 months, I actually had women in my workshop. Do you know, for the whole of 2019, I had 100% men in my workshops. So I think that's fantastic. The women stepped up and well, probably about 75% of the room. So I thought that was awesome. Oh, I love to hear that. Well, congratulations on another successful event. I feel like everything you touch turns to gold. It's, oh, it's the Sam touch. I wish. I wish. <laughs> that's that's the uh, looking from the outside kind of yeah. model, right? Right, right. <laughs> Absolutely. But what are we talking about today? Well, it's actually a good segue because we are going to be talking today about creating a profitable business because otherwise you just have a hobby and that's just not good enough. And that's not my definition. That is in the U.S. It's the Internal Revenue Services definition. If you don't have a profitable business within, I think it's three years, uh, and three years goes by fast, uh, uh -huh. then you have a hobby. You no longer have a business. And I think there are um, some crucial elements to creating a profitable business so that you have a company that has longevity and you can create that legacy that you wanted to create. So we really want to focus on profitability. And I think it's a lot of times neglected or ignored because it's we we take that you know, head in the sand approach when it comes to money and actually looking at hard numbers. Mm -hmm. And also there's also this, what do you think about this? I think there's this culture that's created in the startup world where you don't necessarily have to be profitable. You just have to have a cool, fun, awesome idea and venture capital will be thrown at you. Mm. You can um, mishandle those funds <laughs> and um, and then you can, uh, they'll pay you to go away. And I'm thinking of the WeWork uh, model uh, specifically. So I think in the real world, in the small business world, we don't have venture capital. We don't have fun, you know, play money. We don't have, you know, it's like monopoly money. We don't have mm. that. We're dealing with real dollars and we have real bills to pay, real people to pay. And we really do have to make our, our businesses viable to survive. Absolutely. And, and you've made a really good point there because I've read lots of stories of companies that have had venture capital 
misappropriating those funds, I guess, in a way, because, you know, paying themselves a wage right from day one. And and whilst I think that's good, I think that it's, um, I've bootstrapped all my businesses and I think it's the best way to learn. It's the best way to back yourself, to put your back against a wall, understand what's coming in, what's going out. And if you can't afford to pay yourself this week, then you better get on the phone and make some sales. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm also a big, a big believer in bootstrapping and my most successful business ventures have been 100% bootstrapped. The one business that failed was one that I actually came in with money. Um, It was my own money that I had made from another bootstrapped business, but I had actually came in with my own funding. And, you know, I spent it so fast thinking it was so much and it really wasn't. And I, Uh and I lost it all. So I'm back to the bootstrap lifestyle and I'm loving it. Lou. Hi, Lou. Hey, Lou. So, so yeah, so let's, um, I want to like, before we get into the nitty gritty, I thought this was a really interesting statistic. Um, According to the Small Business Association's Office of Advocacy report, about 10 to 12 percent of small businesses with employees shut their doors each year. And that rate is three times higher for businesses without employees. Mm. So profit is really important. <laughs> Without profit, what you a are surprise. going to be yeah. <laughs> well, well, even if you don't have employees, you, I haven't got the exact stat in front of me, but I know in the first three years, it's something like 85% of businesses fail. And then sort of from there, they're still, you know, at the four mark, the five year mark, the 10 year mark, mm-hmm. there's still a huge amount of businesses failing. And people use all sorts of, let's say, reasons as to why they failed. And when you really look into it, they're all symptoms of not having money. So when they talk about, you know, they fail because of this or that, when you, they're just the symptoms and the core cause is definitely not having enough income. Otherwise, if we had income, they, uh, they would definitely, you know, business would keep going. So let's jump into why or what people can do, areas they can look at to make sure that the business is profitable. Yeah, absolutely. Because really, Sam, I we, we chatted a little bit briefly before we went live and we both had the same four things. There are four ways to be more profitable. In other words, to bring in more revenue. Which um, which just goes to prove that they work because we're on other sides of the world. We had 30 seconds to prepare because of some little <laughs> dramas that were happening. And we actually had the same four points written down. Yeah. Why don't you why don't you go through them, Sam? Because I think they're really it's really important to outline them. Okay. Well let's the four points and we're gonna go back and go into more detail. But the first one is that we need to increase leads. Because if we don't have leads coming into our business, we've got no one to sell to. Uh, the second, the second lever that you can pull for more profitability is to increase your conversions. So, so moving those leads to a paying client. Uh, the third way is to increase your prices. So put your prices up. And the fourth way is to increase your average dollar sale. And um, McDonald's definitely have got that down pat with, would you like fries with that? How can we increase and add, add value? So why don't we go back, Jen, and dive deeper into those four areas? Yeah, absolutely. So let, let's start off with increasing leads because I think that's really the first place to start because if you're opening your business from day one and you've got no leads, increasing prices, conversions or average dollar sale is 
is useless if you haven't got a, a lead in the first place. So how how do you uh, how do you increase your leads? Well, it's interesting because with uh, with Spirit with my business we had to analyze things after a certain period of time. We're a rather young company, um, but we had to take stock of where our existing leads were coming from and where they weren't coming from. So once we identified where most of our business was coming from, we um, we doubled down in our efforts in that area. So for us, our word of mouth referrals and our networking were um, like 99.999% of our business. So what we did is we adjusted um, how we allocated our time towards social media versus um, that word of mouth marketing and getting out there and actually in, getting in front of people. So, so that's how we increased our leads. And we also increased some touch points through um, nurturing sequences via, you know, email marketing. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. so that's what we did. It was, it's not perfect. There's still a lot more that we want to do that, you know, maybe we're not doing or not doing as well as we'd like. But for us, it was just, you know, it was really valuable to, to realize like and identify where the business was coming from and spending more time on that. <laughs> mm, absolutely. And, Such yeah. an important point to to really dive in and have a look so I've just spent the last four weeks on the road and spent in Adelaide in South Australia and went to a few events we caught up with a lot of people a lot of people while we were down there and really maximized our time while we're on the road and one of the things that became extremely obvious to me within the first week is that a lot of the people that we were meeting have been let's say in our funnel or not really in our funnel, but in our audience for many, many, many years. But it was when I was standing in front of them face to face that the conversation moved very quickly to, let's talk about that. How can you help me? How can you help me with this? And we actually got a lot of leads from people that have been in our world for a long time. So I think that um, really analyzing where those leads are coming from. And actually, let me even say to focus, on qualified leads because not all leads are equal. So really to focus on those qualified leads uh, is a really awesome um, or, you know, very something that we need to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think related to that is being careful not to spend too much time on what I would consider low value activities Mm -hmm. because it's really easy to get sucked into. Like I was, before we made that analysis of where our revenues were coming, our revenue and our leads were coming from, you know, I was spending quite a bit of time crafting really beautiful social media images and things like that. And Honestly, I could have had one of our parents or virtual assistants doing that. I just uh-huh. had a little bit of like ownership of it because we were still like, you know, solidifying our brand and I felt a little a little tied to that brand. But then when I looked at where, you know, the leads were coming from, I was like, I absolutely should not spend any more time on, you know, social media posts and things like that. I need to it's a low value activity. It's not where I should be. We are closing deals when I get in front of people, when we're networking, when I'm speaking. That's where the actual business is coming from. And those are the things that only I can do as a business owner. I can't outsource that. So yeah, just eliminating those low value activities made a huge difference. Just just clear, you're not saying that you don't do social media posts, are you? You're just saying that you don't personally do them. Personally do them. Uh, and I wanted to make that clarification because for us to get in front of our network and 
speaking with them, for them, they need to know who we are. So we need to be doing those email nurture campaigns. We need to be doing those social media posts so that when we do, you know, wind up face-to-face audience, they do know who we are and understand how we can help them. So it's about figuring out where as a business owner, your time is best spent. It's not about not doing those activities. It's about maybe handing them off to someone else. So you get the biggest bang for your buck in the the time investment that you're spending in your business. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we definitely need social media because even when you meet people in person for the first time, they'll often follow up with you by following you on social media or seeing the types of things you're putting out in the world under your business umbrella. So you want them to be able to find you after the event (laughs) and before like meeting you. So whatever the situation is, but it's just when, when business, when our business, when I found out that business was not actual clients were not really coming in from the social media, then although it's important, it complements the business and it needs to be there. I need to focus my personal like CEO time my CEO time is better spent out where that biz that business was actually being captured. Yeah, love it. Hey, Marsha, great to have you joining us live. Yay, Marsha's been catching Yay. up tunes as well. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. <laughs> Me too. Marsha's a friend of mine and we just had an event together called Eventomatic. Oh my goodness, I saw it. It looks amazing. Thank you. It was, it was our first one and I think it was pretty successful. So we're really, really happy about it. We, you know, it's like when you do something for the first time, you're always a little nervous. So it's always good to get it behind you and be able to feel good about it. Yeah. Yeah, nice work, nice work. All right, so number one is increased leads. Number two, I think, is increased conversions because we're bringing these leads into our business. You might have leads in the world, but if your conversion's at, you know, 5 10 20%, then you're going to be working really, really hard. So this is about the sales conversations and how you move from a lead to a paying customer. Yeah. I mean, that is, that's the magic, right? And sometimes Mm. it doesn't happen immediately. Sometimes you have to, to really massage and nurture that relationship, build that trust. And also uh, sometimes it's the trust and sometimes it's timing. Like when timing and trust come together, that tends to be when you can close that business, right? Absolutely. I think the biggest thing that I think about when I'm increasing conversions is to be really open to listening to what the objections are of the person that's in front of you because the more you can listen to those objections and and have um, I guess information in place that makes them feel like they trust you more or to really understand that you're the right person to fix their problems then the higher your conversion will be. I think a, um, a, a problem that a lot of people have is they go straight into this is my product without actually listening to, okay, you've got that problem. Why don't you tell me more about that? And then offering um, a solution to their problem. And I think that just by listening to them and, and changing that conversation from, hey, this is what I've got to sell you and moving it to, tell me your problem and how can I possibly think that that's the biggest lever you can use to move your conversions. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and part of that is making sure that you're trying to convert your ideal customer, right? So Uh there's the goal there. Yeah. I mean, because ultimately, I mean, at least it's very important to me to, to do what is right for my potential 
customer, whether that, and that could mean, you know, they're, what's right for them is doing business with my company, but it could also mean what's right for them is referring them to another company that I trust that maybe can deliver them exactly what they need because they're not in a place where they are ready for my services. But, you know, because I have a vast network and I try to look out for my trusted, my, you know, the people in my trusted network, maybe I can help them in another way. And that, again, is just relationship building. And that relationship may or may not pan out into, into business, but it's building a relationship that most likely will pay off in other ways. Maybe it's just, you know, the person I, re the business I referred them to is going to keep me top of mind when they have a potential referral because they appreciate the business I'm sending them. So it really is about looking out for the customer uh, first. I, I always think customer first. Absolutely love that. And I think that just a little tiny piece in here as well, as you were speaking, Jen, I was thinking that these two actually work a little bit hand in hand in that it's pretty hard to increase your conversion your leads aren't qualified. So you talked about attracting your ideal customer and helping them. So it's about attracting that ideal customer in the first place, because if you're trying to increase your leads and they're not qualified leads, then you're actually going to have really low conversions. So those two do work hand in hand. Yeah. So, I mean, even backing it up further, you better know who your ideal client is, right? Yeah. Who specifically and be as specific as possible you're speaking to because then you're going to speak their language. They're going to understand what you're selling and they're going to be more attracted to you. So yeah, all of that is important. You know, the other thing I'd add, I don't know if you would consider this in this under this umbrella of increasing your conversions. But I think one thing that gets overlooked is sometimes we're so focused on, you know, filling our pipeline with leads that we forget that we have existing customers that might have additional needs that we could, you know, that we can sell to them. Like if you're really, and I think this is part of really listening, like you mentioned earlier, Sam, about listening to your customers, listening to their pain points, their problems. Well, they're not static, right? So you may have solved a problem today, but their business is growing and they have different needs tomorrow. So it's mm. really, you know, again, fostering um, an ongoing relationship with your customers so that you are there for them and can almost, uh, if not predict their needs, at least be there to fulfill um, and satisfy and solve a problem. Uh, satisfy a need and solve a problem for them as their needs evolve. So I think, and they're already a customer, so you don't have that, that cost of acquisition of a new customer, you know, what else can you sell your existing, you know, customers? And I, an example that we're doing at Sparent is, you know, all of our our ideal customer is a female founder, a female small business owner. And we all know that that's a lonely place to be sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sure is. Yeah. So we're creating these business play dates where we meet with our existing customers on Zoom to brainstorm or talk with them strategically about ideas, products, things that they're developing. We're basically a sounding board and, you know, we, we pull from our years of business experience so that they can develop these potential ideas in a safe space in an objective environment. Because sometimes as a business owner, you just need to bounce ideas off people, get feedback totally. before you, you take that scary step of like moving forward with them. I love that. I yeah. would love to go on a play date. That sounds fun. Fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, fun. Super fun. They're a good time. Yeah, yeah. awesome. <laughs> really, really good point. Working with a low 
um, that low-hanging fruit. I was going to say the low-flying fruit. I don't know what I had for breakfast. There is no flying fruit. It's low-hanging fruit. fruit. <laughs> um, because you're right, most of us have got a database. Not only not only um, do they have different needs, but I think the, the most important thing is that you already have that know, like, and trust factor. Yes. They already know their problem so it's it's there's no education phase there in where your prospect needs to start to understand how can they help me they already know as a business owner that you can help them so that's that's a really really good point there Jen thank you Sam that's quite okay Jen (laughs) (laughs) all right so the third which segues really quite well into our Point, which is increase your average dollar sale. So that might be as we were talking then about av- um, the average lifetime value, but we might be able to increase the average dollar sale at one point. So things like putting together programs rather than selling one product. And I'm a big, big purporter of this. I'm always saying to my clients, don't think about just this one uh, you know, online program that you can do, what else do you, can you put with it to turn it into a program? Because it means that your clients will achieve a higher success rate, but it also means that you can charge more. Yeah, absolutely. I, I see it all the time, business owners charging like too little and they mm-hmm. realize it too late. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's really hard to like, you know, it's really uncomfortable to raise a price sometimes, uh, especially when you've like been you've done it, you know, you've gotten it way wrong. It's really common. So yeah. So if you could raise that sort of minimum, like your average minimum order, um, that is a great, a great way to do it. And also the other thing that I think is, is tied into this is I think a lot of times when business owners get a little desperate for revenue, a little frantic because, you know, the bills are still there, Uh isn't, I will see them like just discounting and discounting and discounting. And it's almost like a race to the bottom. Like how low can I go before I get a client? And that's just not a, a good move. It's, it's yeah. just not a good move. Please don't devalue your services. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, that's, that's just, um, we just don't want to see you, see you doing that because I just think it's, you know, you're not a flea market. We're not haggling. We're not haggling. Totally, um, yeah, totally. You don't want to rely on that discount strategy because it, it can devalue your products and services. And that's a that's a long-term thing that's really hard to, that's a long-term spiral that's hard to get out of. Totally. So in the coaching consulting space, that average dollar sale mm-hmm. can be increased by creating programs. In the retail environment, it's asking, you know, like McDonald's like I said before, would you like fries with that? What is it that you can sell alongside that product? Uh, one of my one of first businesses was a dancewear store, and if someone came in for a pair of shoes, we would always ask if they wanted, you know, a pair of stockings or tights with that, or would they like, you know, ribbons with their ballet shoes rather than the elastic that was given away free in the packet? It was always helping our staff to understand what is it that they're buying and what is related to that that they probably need that they've forgotten. So unlike McDonald's where it's just like, well, would you like fries? That's that's a nice want. There's a lot of times in retail we're not actually asking our our customers what it is that they also need that they may have forgotten about. So we also used to provide checklists to the parents so that they could just go, yep, I'll have that and that and that and that to help them understand, well, we all of that. So we could increase that average dollar sale sometimes by more than 100%. Oh, yeah, that's such great advice because if I just think about my own behavior, 
and this is, I'll use this example because this happens a lot. Um, I often go to either Pete's Coffee or Starbucks because they're very convenient to where I live. And so oftentimes I'll go in there and I'm thinking, oh, I should pick up some coffee beans while I'm there. But then once I'm there, I'm distracted. I'm too worried about them getting my drink order right. And so I order the drink <laughs> order and nobody asks me, do you need beans? Like all they have to do is be like, oh, do you need beans today? And I'd be like, oh, thank you. Like I do need beans. I'm full of beans. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I want to be full of beans. So yeah. And, and you know, they never, almost never ask me if I need a See? beans. But if they did. How awesome yeah. is that? Yeah. So many people think people don't, you know, they don't like to pushy or sell. But when you think about it like that, you're actually helping your client or customer, to, you know, how awesome is it if you walk out with your beans then you're not walking out every time going, ah, oh, I forgot them again. Right. Because it's not, I mean, I, I don't know why, but I never just turn around and get back in line. You know, I just leave. Yeah. Leave. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's such great advice. I love it. Gosh, aren't we smart, Jen? You're smart. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just here for the ride. Yeah. So, so we've got increased leads, increased conversions, increased average dollar sale. And the fourth one here is just so obvious. And I think that so many people miss it is to increase your price. Yeah. So what would you, I think that, um, actually I'll share I, I, quite a few years ago, I had a mentor that said to me, okay, Sam, what if you could 10 X the price of that, that product that you're selling right now? Mm. And I went, oh, I couldn't 10x that price. And she went, well, it's the wrong question. What do you need to do to be able to 10x your price? And just changing that question that I could 10x my price and did it within, it was within two weeks because there was a little bit of work that had to go into to changing it over. But I turned a $97 a month product into a $997 product, not because it was exactly the same, but because I started to think, what would I need to do to be able to do that? And by increasing that price from 97 to 997, I can't, that those kinds of numbers can turn your business around. Oh, absolutely. Because it probably didn't take that much more effort to move mm -hmm. a $997 product as it does to move a $97 product. Well, how many leads do you need to bring into your business to get the number of conversions to make that same number of sales? Like it's just, you start to unpack the numbers in each of those different areas and you need a huge amount of leads and a very high conversion. Uh, you know, you're working very, very hard to make you know, an okay amount where you can just increase your price if you still got those leads and conversions nice and high. It just makes it so much easier. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's more than one way to do it too. I, I mean, really look at the structure of your business and your pricing. And, and the reason I'm saying there's more than one way to raise your price is I'm thinking back to my early business and um, just to give you a little background, we um, we had a midday dog walking service. Um, we also had a pet sitting service, but we had this midday dog walking service. And it was actually that turned out to be the bread and butter of, of our revenue because we were walking like 300 dogs Monday through Friday every day. And you think, oh, wow, that's, that's cool. Um, but what was happening is we, you know, we charged per walk. So whatever it was, it was $15 a walk. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but what was happening is clients would reserve a dog walker. Like they'd say, I need you Monday through Friday. 
every week. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then they would call and they would cancel two, three times a week. And they would cancel the day of and we would like back off the charge. And more often than not, we it was like such short notice that we couldn't replace that work. We, uh -huh. we, couldn't, we couldn't add a walk onto that walker schedule. So what was happening is our revenue was getting less predictable and the income for our employees was getting less predictable. And we wanted to keep our good employees. And the best way to keep an employee is to give them good uh -huh. income. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, what we decided to do is we decided to lower the per walk rate a little bit. I think we, we brought it down by a dollar per walk but it was a flat monthly fee. So they paid mm. to reserve time on our calendar, which was a limited resource. So if they wanted a dog walker Monday through Friday, we guaranteed that, but they mm -hmm. paid the same every month, no matter if they canceled or not. So what happened is our revenue stream, our reoccurring revenue got really predictable mm -hmm. as well as our dog walkers pay. We were also, it also allowed us to, we had enough revenue to justify bringing in regional managers because we had like such predictable, steady revenue. So it was no, none of our competitors were doing it. We were absolutely the first person. Nobody thought like people were like, don't do it. You're going to lose all your customers because they're not going to want to pay for walks. They didn't get, we lost two customers. Wow. That just goes to prove again yeah. that people just want their problems solved. Yeah. They wanted to, you know, they liked, first of all, their per walk rate went down. So technically we were lowering their prices, but it, we increased our revenue and, um, and yeah. And when we ever, if we ever needed a loan or something in terms of going to the bank, we didn't need loans, but I knew that I could take our, our, um, uh, our revenue sheets to and uh, any bank and say, look, we have guaranteed revenue. Like mm -hmm. these people have signed contracts with us to provide these dog walks. So, so if we ever needed a loan, we'd be able to do that if we wanted to do some sort of major expansion. So, so yeah, just, you know, think about the, you know, there's more than one way to structure your, your fees. So just, you know, don't be afraid to think outside the box, even if nobody else is doing it that way, you can be the first. 100%. So yeah. what's your biggest takeaway, Jen, that you want to leave listeners with in relation to um, creating a profitable, creating that that revenue stream? In general, like of all the things that we've talked yeah. about? Just it could be any of those or just something that comes to mind that someone that's listening just go that, that one thing is gold and it, you know, it helps them to think a different way maybe. Yeah, I would say, I don't know, maybe this is kind of boring, but really know your financials, like really mm. know all your expenses. When I say all your expenses, you have to factor in the time that you're working on your business. Like you really have to factor all of that in when calculating your prices for your services and products. So I mean, I think you have to start with knowing your numbers and you can't you can't be afraid of profit like and 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 there is fear there because you're you're afraid you're going to your you know potential customers aren't going to be willing to pay that much you're a, i don't know what you're afraid of but you're afraid probably of that most of all right mm. um and you know i run into so many business owners that love what they do so much they would literally do it for free and they practically are doing it for free it's the last bit that we don't like. The first bit's okay. Right. You can want to do it for free. But don't. But don't do it, don't for free. it for free. I see it all the time. I see potentially really viable businesses that on the surface have great momentum, like 
there's a lot of activity with customers and you know everything looks great until you look at their numbers and you realize oh my gosh you know you're not going to you're not going to make it if you don't start bringing in actual money totally yeah mary sue says she's afraid of being a volunteer in her own business oh. I'm so Good glad. She, I'm so glad she. I hope that keeps her up at night. I hate to say that, but you should be <laughs> afraid of that because I think we're all too willing sometimes to just work, you know, in our business instead of on our business. And then absolutely, all of a we're just a volunteer accountant. We're a volunteer social media manager. We're a, a volunteer everything. Yeah, you may as well have a job. At least get paid for that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Totally. We, well, Sam, you're great with takeaways. I'm not good on the spot with takeaways. I will think about a great takeaway when I'm sitting in, like, laying in bed tonight. It's like, but oh, I think your takeaway was awesome. You're yeah, it could be better. Fantastic. I don't know. I, I want to well, know. My, oh, I have my one. takeaway. I have one okay, go ahead. My takeaway is that people don't like to be sold to, but they love to buy. So. Thinking oh. that people don't want to buy from you is a really limiting belief, and. You know, people don't like to be sold to. And this go, you and I touch on this in quite a few areas. When you're listening to your audience, when you're listening to your prospects, when you're listening to them on a sales call, listen to their problems and how you can help them. Because when you, when you listen to them and you're able to solve them, they will love to buy that, but they just don't want to be sold to. Oh, so just always so be remembering, don't people don't like to be sold to, but they love to buy. That is a great takeaway. And I, I do have one that I actually wrote in my notes and I didn't remember, but so it's just, it's short, but it's don't confuse a revenue trickle with a revenue stream. Ah, oh, you always have the good ones. No, I did. I wrote, I don't know. I, I hope that makes sense. But, you know, a lot of times we'll take all the dollars, any dollars, but at some point you have to realize like, what is a true revenue stream? What is really, what is the, the what is it that is, is bringing in the majority of my revenue? Spend more time on that. Don't worry about like, a, you know, the, the something that's bringing in a hundred bucks a month or whatever it is. Like you need to let that go because it's taking energy. It's taking time away from the, the viable revenue stream. So don't, don't confuse a revenue trickle with a revenue stream. Good, Jen. So, yeah. so good. Good so. topic today. I think it's good. I think, you know, profit is one of my favorite words in the English language. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I love that you're just going, yep, I'm, I'm owning that. I'm owning yes. that. Well, it's, if you can get if you can get a, a, your business profitable, it's a beautiful thing. I assure you. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Brilliant. Where are we going from here? Oh gosh, I don't know. Do you are we moving on to the next segment? Let's move on to the next segment because okay. I think that we covered that off. I think we covered that off, and we yeah the gate on that. That's right. We're not going to just fill the time with fluff. That's all. That's no, that's not what we do. No fluff, no fluff, no fluff, no fluff from Sam and Jen. <laughs> that's the, the next podcast. Okay. So, um, <laughs> so we both had a cool thing we wanted to share. Is that what we you're did? About? Okay. We can, we can do one cool thing. I'm happy to do a cool thing. Would you like me to start? Yes. I like that both of our one cool things are in line with what we're talking about today, but I actually have another podcast. I don't just hang out on this podcast. I've got another podcast called Thought Leaders Business Lab. Uh, and Jen, you mentioned before or earlier in this show about knowing your numbers. And a lot of people don't understand what knowing your numbers actually means. And because they don't understand 
head in the sand because maybe they're a bit ashamed, maybe a bit embarrassed. So I actually released an episode just two days ago. It was uh, episode 158 called uh, Foundation Strong Financial Systems, uh, where my guest Meryl Johnston from Bean Ninjas explained exactly what knowing your numbers are and how to know them. So what exactly do you need to do to be able to find those numbers? How do you read your balance sheet? How do you read your profit and loss statement? How do you put together standard operating systems? So whilst I know a lot of people think this is a boring topic, I think that what I've seen is that when people understand these things, they actually think it's a really exciting topic because when you've got more money coming in, you've got more money to spend and you can do and go and do really fun things. So if you go to samanthariley.global forward slash podcast forward slash 158, because it's episode 158, you can take a listen to that episode, uh, which is Foundations of Strong Financial Systems. So that's my one cool thing. Yeah, I'm going to totally listen to that. I I always feel like I need, I mean, I know what some of those things are, but I, I constantly feel like I need a refresher. I don't, looking, I don't like looking at financials either, I'll confess, but I also know what happens when you don't pay attention. And mm. that's, that's worse than just looking at the reality of whatever it is. So, well, yeah, I think that, that what you've mentioned there is quite interesting in that if I haven't looked at them for a while, I don't like looking at them either. However, what I have discovered about myself is if I'm looking at them every single week and I know what's happening exactly what's happening and I understand where those four levers are that we talked about earlier that I actually get a bit excited and a bit competitive with myself to move those levers so that the only time I don't like looking at the numbers is when I'm not on top of them as soon as I'm on on top of them it's super exciting because I can I can play with them yeah that's it that's a good point yeah that absence of you know breeds a little bit of uh doesn't breed fondness in when it comes to your financials it just breeds it makes you fearful instead of fearful. absolutely, absolutely. Oh and I know that you've got. A, I've got. You have a cool thing today, Jen. I, I think it's cool. I, I ran across this book. A lot of you business geeks out there may have heard of it and or read it. It's called Profit First by Mike Michael. I don't know how to say it. Mike Michalowicz. Mike Michalowicz. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, you know, we'll have this in the show notes, but. So he um, he's a, an author of he's also got a couple of bestsellers the the pumpkin plan and the toilet paper entrepreneur I have not read either of those but I did come across this profit first and there's more to it um, but just to simplify it he he kind of turns the standard classic profit formula around so um, instead of looking at profit as the formula of revenue minus expenses equals profit, he encourages business owners to do something different. And that is um, revenue minus profit equals expenses. So what he's encouraging you to do is manage your expenses um, so that first, so that you can start earning profit sooner. So it's kind of like paying yourself first. So it's it's very simplistic when you just look at those formulas compared, but he goes into more depth in the book and it's not an overnight process. 
but I thought it was really, yeah, you know, it's a lot of psychological, it's kind of a psychological approach to profit, but I don't think it's a bad one. I mean, no. because um, in terms of increasing your, your profitability, you do have control over a lot of your expenses. And I, I, when I read his book, I thought back to my first, you know, business, which, which was a successful business, but I remember at some point, I got my first office space outside of my home. Oh, that's an exciting yeah, time and was, a scary time all at the same time. Well, it was very exciting, but it, I found some very cheap office space. It was like $250 a month. It was in the back of a, an existing business. I didn't, it wasn't storefront. It was like in the basement. You had to go down the alley, you know, take a right at the dumpster, go down <laughs> some stairs. There was no windows. Like it was literally just a room with a bathroom. I had to paint it. I put in carpet. I made like a counter, but it was kind of a dreary space to be honest with you, but I was so proud of it. And $250 a month, it wasn't a huge financial risk. Well, here I am, my business is growing. There's this new building getting built across the street and there's a Panera in the bottom. And I just set my sights on a bigger office. Our staff was growing. So I found this office space and it was like three rooms. It was like in a real office, like with a real sign on the door. Oh, I super sexy. I could smell, I could smell the bread baking in Panera down below. <laughs> I was like, I have made it. But I went from $250 a month to $1,250 a month. Oh, that's a big jump. And yeah, it was a big jump. And Honestly, at the time we could have, you know, we could afford it or we wouldn't have done it, but technically I could have stayed in that $250 space longer. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So, so there was a little bit of a, a need, but also a little bit of an ego of wanting like a fancier office after being in the basement for a couple of years. Uh -huh. But if I had to, I could have stayed in that basement and sucked up. Heck, I could have stayed and kept the office at my house if I mm. needed to. It wasn't ideal because we had employees that needed to pick up keys and paperwork, but I could have. So, so I really like this approach because I think a lot of times as business people, as entrepreneurs, we do make decisions on based on ego. Like this makes us look more successful. Like that office in the real office building to me made me feel more successful. So yeah. So I, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's an approach worth looking at. at mm. least, you know, mm. Please can, you know, I think you should consider, I think that the book is worth reading um, and see if you can make it work for you. Yeah, oh, I think Sue loves the book. She says she wants to get that set up this year. Great. I'm not the only Yeah, one. so I actually haven't read the book, but I've spoken to a lot of people that have given me the, you know, the rundown of how it works and I really like the idea. However, I have read The Pumpkin Plan by Mike McCullough as well, and The Pumpkin Plan is sensational, and I thoroughly recommend if you want to be looking at how to increase the revenue in your business through a different lens that you also read The Pumpkin Plan. So Pumpkin Plan's not about how to split up your funds and the bank accounts and that kind of thing, but it's more around how to set up your your programs or your products, how to increase prices and uh, and the average dollar sale. So love that book too. Good work, Jen. Oh, thanks. Good work to you too, Sam. Oh, thanks. And, and I'm going to read the pumpkin plan now because I had no idea what it was even about. <laughs> it's, really, it's really, really good. Really good. So do you have a grind your gears this week, Jen? 
You know what? Um, I know I'm famous now for my grinding the gears. I don't, I've been so, like many, I've been so distracted by what's going on with the coronavirus. Oh my goodness. I um, didn't even tell you what my grind your gears was going to be about. You Boom. Oh, yeah. Coronavirus. Oh. <laughs> We didn't even discuss this before we started recording. Jen, I love this like thing that we've got going on here. Well, I didn't even know if it qualified for a grind your gears, but. I um, don't want to do it from a grind my gears of people talking about it. I don't, I'm not coming through that lens. It's actually through a different lens that I want to talk about this quickly today because coronavirus is it's a real thing. It is really affecting the economy extremely, yes. extremely quickly. And like Brent says, do not drink a Corona while eating egg drop soup. Don't do that either. <laughs> I love that we can bring bring the uh, the the humor, but you know, really, coronavirus isn't funny. It is affecting us, and it's going to affect our businesses, whether you think it is or not. It already is affecting business. People aren't traveling. Uh, if we're talking specifically about sort of this coach consulting community, people are going to be not traveling. Conferences are being cancelled. You know, South by Southwest has been cancelled. So none of us saw that happening. Well, I didn't, not none of us. Um, You know, we're not going to be uh, maybe for people that are coaching one-on-one, that's something that they really need to think about, you know, coaching online. But I'm not going to grind my gear or what's grinding my gears is not the fact that it's around. It's that people are being caught in scare tactics by the media. Now, -hmm. you've got to understand that the media says things to make sales. They say things to hook you in. So don't get caught in these scare tactics. Instead, I really, really want our listeners and our watchers to, to really use this time to plan and be prepared or be prepared and plan. So what do you need to change in your business? Use like following these trends so that you can come out the other side. You know, Jen, you and I have been in business a long time. We've been through the GFC in 2008. We've been through SARS. We've been through all of these things. And it's the people that put their head in the sand and they don't prepare that don't make it through to the other side. But here's what I want to leave people with is that whilst business is going to drop off, this is the perfect time to, you know, maybe have a look at what's happening in your business, you know, doing different programs, looking at your branding, taking some courses because for every downturn, there's an upturn. So if you use this time wisely when everything goes back to normal and none of us know when that's going to be, but all the conferences will start again, all the speakers will get paid again, you know, who are going to be the first people that they're going to look at? It's the ones that are prepared and that are still hanging around. So it's not a massive grind my gears, but I just really wanted to touch on the fact that there isn't actually an opportunity if you don't get caught in the sensationalism of what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel bad for the, the businesses that are affected and, and the people who who are employed and um, might have to stay home without pay. I mean, there's a, there's a, oh, there's a domino so many... effect, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, so we need to be sensitive on that. Uh, me personally, I'm, I feel very fortunate because I do work from home and I run a virtual agency. So uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. we're sort of uh, by default sequestered. But I also run a conferences and I have a conference that was slated for May 1st and we have a plan B in place. We have an alternate date with the same venue, but we have to like communicate with our speakers, our sponsors, our existing ticket holders. My feeling is that 
our attendees will be safe. I've been, uh, the CDC has a great website and they have recommendations and protocols for community events and conferences. So I've been keeping an eye on that. But because of the timing of it, it's going to like threaten our ticket sales because, you know, leading up to the event is peak coronavirus time. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and some of our speakers who are coming from, you know, an op- the opposite coast are having issues with travel during that time. So we're probably ha- going to have to move the date. We have a plan mm-hmm. B. So it's affecting me, but it's, you know, it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. It's a small conference. It's not a South by Southwest. That's a huge deal. Yeah, Um, Yeah, totally. Yeah, it it, it affects people. I I think my biggest um, gripe probably is I've heard so many people say, oh, it's not that serious. It's just like getting the flu. I'm, I'm healthy, but it's not really about us as individuals. It's about, Mm -hmm. hey, I'm healthy. I could be carrying coronavirus. And just because I'm healthy doesn't mean I should be going out, walking around the community, possibly putting people in danger that are older or immunocompromised. So I don't Uh want to be typhoid Mary out there. So it's it's not really about us as individuals. I think that's the problem. What's so disheartening about the the hoarding of materials is that, Uh um, you know, we we should really be coming together um, and and looking at our communities as a whole and seeing how we can help our neighbors and keep our neighbors and our friends and our family um, and our communities safe by working together. So I I think we'll get there. I think this is just something we haven't dealt with before. And it's easy to panic and get caught up Uh in it because Uh it's all new and we haven't actually had a pandemic in our in our you know, immediate history yeah. um, to deal with. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping for the best. I'm hoping yep. everything turns out yep. okay. Um, Absolutely. And, and, uh, and, just so that everyone does understand, I'm not saying it's not serious. You know, there are some people that are going through really hard times, travel, retail, already we can see them going through hard times. I'm not minimising the effect that this is going to have. I'm just saying be prepared, plan, and educate yourself in the right places. Don't get caught up in the media hype. And and I agree, Jen, like let's look after our community as a whole. Think about other people and help other people. I think that was that was a really nice way to round that out. Yeah. Well, this has been great. We miss Joe. We miss Joe anytime he can't make. Absolutely. Um, we don't get our big intro. <laughs> we yeah, can't do the intro like that. Joe. He's so great at that. He's, I can't like just get that pumped up. Like, I feel like that's a, that's just a Joe, you know, super Joe Pardo thing, but we made it. We wanted to be consistent. We didn't want to cancel on you guys. Uh, Thank you all for joining us. And that includes Leon and Brent and Mary Sue and Marsha. This will obviously be on uh, Apple podcasts and anywhere that you listen to your, your podcasts. Um, And we have something coming up called a TikTok challenge is that right sam is that's what we're doing we're gonna we are and i think we're going to talk about next week a little bit about what that tiktok challenge is yeah we'll we'll leave you with that teaser tiktok challenge people absolutely so we will see you all next week or we will be in your earbuds next week talking about that and all sorts of other things to help you grow your business thanks so much for nerding out with me or geeking out with me today jen yeah, thanks for entrepreneurding out with me too, Sam. <laughs> and for all you business geeks out there, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next week.